0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome to 2022 and the first podcast for the year on Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Our beautiful guest today is registered dietitian and nutritionist Colleen Christensen, who is going to change the way you think about nutrition through her gentle nutrition approach. As a nutritionist and dietitian, Colleen is a food freedom expert who believes that eating should be easy and enjoyable, not cause guilt, stress, or anxiety. On today's podcast, we talk about why we should be thinking about nutrition differently and how to adopt a sustainable and realistic approach to nutrition. We chat about why diets don't work, what to do instead of dieting, and what happens when we stop dieting and start listening to our bodies. We tell our listeners how they can listen better to their bodies and debunk the myth that food freedom means eating whatever you want. You can follow Colleen on her Instagram, which is no.food.rules, or find her on her website, which is ColleenChristensenNutrition.com. Just before we jump into the episode, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method coaching service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Reply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Now let's dive into today's episode with Colleen. Welcome, Colleen, to the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you on.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I've wanted to do a podcast with you for so long, and I was like, oh, there was just a million topics. Honestly, the reason I didn't ask you was because I was like, what do I get her to talk about? Like, there are just so many things. (laughs) Not that there wasn't anything. There were so many. And I was like, how do I pinpoint just one topic for her to talk about? So I am really excited about the topic that we're talking about today, just in terms of, you know, improving people's nutrition and getting them to think a little bit differently about nutrition. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And I call myself like a gentle nutrition nerd, which we'll kind of get into what gentle nutrition means. But like, I love it. I, I mean, as dietitians, like I geek out about the, the science behind it. Yes, I advocate for food freedom and all that stuff, but I love the nutrition side of things too.
0: Amazing. So I guess to start with the basics for our listeners at home. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself Mm -hmm. and what you're doing for work on a day-to-day basis at the moment?
1: Yes, so I am a registered dietitian and my day-to-day basis, I do a lot of things. So I have a membership site where I teach intuitive eating and food freedom and this aspect of gentle nutrition. I also do, I mean, content creating on YouTube, Instagram, recipes on my blog, working with brands. Um, So I wear a lot of different hats and I feel like that's what I really love about this career. I wasn't always a private practice dietitian working for myself. My background is actually in inborn errors of metabolism. So metabolics, a very, very Mm. clinical setting, very, very science heavy. Um, So that's where I started my career. And then I really got into this line of work because... It was something that I had struggled with, and I'll be honest with you, I never saw myself as becoming a private practice dietitian dealing with disordered eating and helping people become intuitive eaters because i really thought it was going to be something that was too close to home for me and the further that i got along in it and i became a quote unquote normal eater i you know implemented nutrition without being obsessed about it it didn't cause me you know anxiety to have a cupcake or make me feel guilty anymore the further the more normalized that that became i kind of was like okay I feel like I have to step into this role of being the person that, honestly, I felt like I didn't have when I was going through all of this. And, you know, it caused me to have a lot of trial and error to make this whole journey take way longer than it needed to. And I just saw that. And so I kind of like leaned into it a little bit. And then I just became obsessed with being able to really tie all of the things that I love together, cooking, having fun with food, nutrition, being creative, getting people to laugh and, you know, just bring a little bit of light to their day. And I feel like that's really what i get to do on a daily basis. Yes, i get to educate and be a registered dietitian and do all of those things and, you know, talk about the science and, you know, geek out about that, but i also get to be funny and show my personality and get creative and find out, okay, what's a what's a new way that i could take this information that so many people need and make it actually enjoyable to kind of pun intended there, digest and actually kind of absorb that. So do a lot of different things, but really focusing on that overcoming disordered eating, overcoming ending dieting. A lot of people, when they hear disordered eating, they're like, well, what does that mean? And it's really just learning to listen to your body and learning to not have to follow diets or food rules and to be able to enjoy a cupcake and a carrot alike in ways that feel good, both mentally and physically.
0: Absolutely. And I must credit you. You do that so well across all of your socials and your pages, bringing, you know, just fun and light into the nutrition world and teaching people in a way that like you just break it down really, really well.
1: I'm glad. Thank
0: you. (laughs) Make sure I link all of your socials in our show notes um, so our listeners can give you a follow because your your page is one of my favorites. I always love seeing your posts pop up. And so talking about, I guess, thinking differently about nutrition from your own personal struggles, because I've had my own as well. And I'm sure most dietitians have, right? That's just how we get into this area. We want to help people. And I agree. Like, I feel like I'm a better coach or a better dietitian because I've had my own struggles and I can relate to people and I'm more empathetic. So for you, is that why you're passionate about helping people think differently? Because you've been there, you've seen how hard it is, and you now see how many people are struggling on the other side. Is that what drives your passion your creativity?
1: Yes, absolutely. I felt like when I was really struggling, so I struggled a lot with I feel like I was a very quote unquote normal eater. I didn't obsess over food. Eating was easy for me until about college. And then I swung from one end of things, very restrictive, to the other side of things and really just binge eating all of the things. So I've been at really both of those extremes. And as I was going through, okay, like trying to get back to this place of normalcy, trying to get pla- get back to not obsessing over nutrition or, you know, eating the entire chocolate cake and, you know, feeling guilty about it. I did work with, as I was in school to become a dietitian, I did go see dietitians because I knew I needed help myself. And what was so frustrating to me was that, again, I felt like they hadn't been in my shoes. And just like you said, like our own struggles. And I think that that's a really common thing nowadays with dietitians is leaning into that and going off of what you know we struggled with because there's just something that I needed was that like, okay, you've been in my shoes, like you get it versus someone who had just kind of like read from a textbook. And I'm not saying that you can't learn from textbooks or anything like that. But for me, having that kind of like emotional connection with someone where I know they have literally been in the experience that I'm dealing with was super helpful. So yeah, that is definitely something that motivates me every day. And also kind of like that Mucky middle when I was trying to figure everything out. I felt so crazy and I was like, this is insane. Like, I felt like I took 80 steps forward and 85 steps back. And if I can just help someone, you know, ease that process for them, make it a little bit easier, to me, that is a huge win. And it's so fulfilling. Like, I get up every morning and I'm excited to do the work that I do. No, I don't love every task. Like, I don't love doing like the accounting thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, we are just talking about like the tech side of. Things like that is not my forte, but I figure it out. I do all those things and I'm excited to do that because it helps, you know, again, just that fuel of my fire of helping people make eating easy again and implement nutrition in a way that again, makes them feel good mentally and physically. It just, Ooh, I'm getting like excited. Just, just talking about it.
0: (laughs) I love it. And I love your passion. So let's dive deep into changing the way that people think about nutrition. So for our listeners at home, Colleen, how can they begin to adopt what we would call a sustainable yet realistic approach to nutrition? What would be your top, I guess, first few steps to get there?
1: Yes. So I'm going to introduce you guys to a phrase, gentle nutrition. So if you haven't heard of it before, it's – from the intuitive eating book. Um, and really it's this idea of making nutrition easy and implementing it in a gentle way. It's not going to be this all or nothing thing that those fad diets tell you, you know, you can eat this, you can't eat that. It's just what it says, gently applying nutrition. And I think this really comes down to applying nutrition information where it makes sense for you. And that's going to be different for Every single person. There's one quote from the Intuitive Eating book. I hope I get this exactly correct. If it's a couple words (laughs) off, don't hate me. But it's in times of taste, consider nutrition, and in times of nutrition, consider taste. So it's kind of understanding does it make sense for me to implement nutrition right now? And there's going to be times when that is yes, and there's going to be times when the answer is no. So For instance, if I'm going out to lunch with a girlfriend and, you know, I it's more of an experience kind of thing, I'm probably going to lean more into the taste and I might consider adding nutrition in versus a today. It's a busy day. It's Monday. I just needed something for lunch fast that was going to fuel my body. It's not necessarily like an experience kind of meal. It's more of like, I just need nutrition. So it makes sense for me to lean on that a little bit more in that instance. So I think that's one of the first things is to understand is, does it make sense to implement nutrition? And I think a good question that you can ask yourself is, would implementing, you know, a certain aspect of GENT nutrition take away from my satisfaction and enjoyment with the meal? On a random Monday, no, making sure I have, you know, protein, fat, carb, throwing some whole wheat bread in there, I it's probably not going to take away from my satisfaction but if I was you know out with a girlfriend for lunch and I really wanted the mac and cheese and I forced myself to have the grilled chicken that probably would drastically influence my satisfaction with that. So I think that's the first thing is really understanding does it even make sense for me to implement dense nutrition because it's not always going to because nutrition is only one aspect of our food choices. And I think that the next thing is to also think about how does the food make you feel? Mm-hmm. This is really going to be the driver with a lot of do we implement nutrition or not and kind of understanding okay, you know, how will this food make me feel? You know, how will having a cupcake for a snack in the middle of the week make me feel versus if I, you know, maybe had some, I'm obsessed right now with a certain fiber cereal from Trader Joe's. I'm such a grandma. I love my fiber cereal. <laughs> <But> <laughs> that, a Greek yogurt, like it's so filling. It's so fueling for me. I'd probably feel better with that, right? And then thinking about the rest of the day, I would be able to, you know, go about my work day, not have a super, you know, sugar crash, feel fatigued. That's going to make me feel better. And I think when we can tie the way that we feel with our food choices, it makes it, we understand. I think that's the big thing. We start to understand, okay, I understand why I'm making this food choice versus, oh, someone told me this was quote unquote good for me. So I should be eating that. Your choices should come from you and they should always be empowered choices, whether it's I'm eating that cupcake because I want the cupcake or it's I'm making this choice to have the cereal and the yogurt because that's going to kind of allow me to feel better. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question?
0: Absolutely. And I always okay. say it to my clients, we don't want to make decisions from a place of restriction because that's when we do feel like we miss out. It's when we crave the food 10 times more. It's when we leave the meal and we don't feel satisfied, right? So mm-hmm. making that choice based on how does this make my body feel versus I should do this or I need to do this, or this is what I, you know, I need to eat because it's the healthiest option. So I love that. So you're listening to your body in order to make those choices versus making them from that restrictive place, which mm-hmm. I feel is the big difference between, I guess, sort of that dieting culture and that more leaning in and listening to your body and adopting that gentle nutrition like you talk about.
1: Yes, absolutely. Hit the nail on the head.
0: Wonderful. And then let's talk a little bit more about diets because just the word diet is confusing, right? We are dietitians. People are like, why do you always say you don't like diets? You're a dietitian. It doesn't make sense. And I'm like, I agree. It's it's very confusing. So Mm -hmm. my question for you, Colleen, is Why don't diets work and in what aspects are we talking about diets in? Because I guess to some degree we all eat a diet, right? A diet is food; it's what we eat every day. But we're more talking about the restrictive diets where they come with food rules and black or white things, like you can do this, you can't do this. You've got a list of good bad, uh, good foods and a list of bad foods. Is that what you're talking about when you when you say this term diet? Because I think just the term diet confuses a lot of people, doesn't it? Yes, it does
1: because. The word diet, so I was actually just looking this up in another sense, and it's typically listed as the kinds of foods that a person, animal, or community habitually eats. So I mean, when you think about it that way, technically we all have diets, right? We all have typical foods that we probably eat on a day-to-day basis. So it's almost like there's a couple different like definitions of the word diet. And typically when we talk about diet, we're talking about a specific set of things that we are told to eat, not necessarily the things that you want to eat on a daily basis or that you would naturally gravitate towards, but what someone else is telling you that you should or should not eat. So I think that's a really, really good point that we all have diets, right? And I think that sometimes I'll be, I mean, when we talk about like having, you know, what do you include in your diet? I mean, that's a question of like, what do you eat on a day-to-day basis versus what diet are you on? It's kind of like
0: understanding
1: the context. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. So from your perspective, when we think about dieting in terms of restrictions and you know, what diet are we on? Why don't those types of diets work?
1: Yes. Very, very good question. There's so much, I think, especially lately in the past, you know, I don't even know how 10, 20 years, there's been so much more research out there on the long-term effects of dieting. And really, they do cause so many different things. They cause weight gain. uh, They – a lot of times slower metabolism. They can cause reduced muscle mass, nutrient deficiencies for a lot of those fad diets, Um, and also the psychological impact and including increasing our stress levels. There are studies shown that monitoring your intake can cause raises in stress and cortisol. So it's kind of like we, I do like to believe that a lot of people Go on a diet because they do want to improve their health, but it's kind of like it's not necessarily improving your health in the way that you think. And a lot of times when we go on these diets, we might think that they quote unquote work in the short term because you might lose weight, right? But our bodies, oh, our bodies are so much smarter than we give them credit for. They understand, okay. I am being severely restricted, which is typically what a lot of those fad diets are, oh my gosh, it kind of just like goes into this panic mode. And it doesn't know that there's a McDonald's on every corner. It doesn't know that, you know, you could go, if you wanted to, buy a carton of ice cream and get the calories that you need. Our bodies just think, oh my gosh, I'm not getting the energy that I need. So what happens if this happens again in the future? When I am able to, you know, have, food. I'm going to pack on a little bit of extra reserves so that when this happens again, I'm prepared. And that's a good thing, right? Our bodies are fighting for us, but that's how we kind of see the weight creep up in between diets. So that's kind of where that long-term weight gain comes from. And I should say also with the idea of long-term weight gain, we're talking like two, five, 10 years. And a lot of the studies out there are kind of more short term, like less than a year. So just kind of think about that. If you're like, well, you know, I've kept this weight off for X, Y, Z months. We're talking more long term here. And that weight cycling, so that up and down is what's tied to a lot of those health, you know, things that aren't so great for our health. And also with that. So we talked about kind of how our weight creeps up and the negative effects with that yo-yo dieting. But a lot of times, another thing to think about is that our body, when we quote unquote fail a diet, it's not failing at all. That is your body, again, trying to save you. There are so many things that happen in our bodies, like hormonally and just all the things that happen that when we restrict, thinking specifically if we you know restrict carbs, we're going to have an increase of neuropeptide Y that is going to make you crave those carbs more. It's going to make you crave those sugary foods more often because that's like quick energy. Again, your body's like, Whoo, I just need energy fast. What is the fastest way I can get that? That is sugar. So it's thinking about it in kind of that bigger sense of, okay, you know, these restrictions, they don't work. They're sexy, right? And I think that it's also important to note that there are other reasons why we diet. Like sometimes it can feel, it can give us a sense of hope, right? Like if I go on a diet and I achieve X, Y, Z, you know, that the diet promises, maybe I'll feel happier or, you know, I will be less stressed. My life will feel put together. Or sometimes we just like the challenge of it, right? So I think also if that's a, you know, driver for you to also think about those things. And how can I meet those needs in other way? Since we know that the dieting itself is not going to be the best thing for our health.
0: Mm, I love that. And I always say, you know, every diet works until it doesn't, right? And that's that concept where you talked about the yo-yo dieting where people go, oh, I'm just going to do this diet to get the five or 10 pounds off or to get the couple of kilos off to go to my friend's wedding. And then like, I'll just stop it. Like once I reach my goal weight, I'll just stop it. Mm -hmm. And so many people don't understand that if what you're doing to get to your goal is overly restrictive and it can't last long-term, then you're likely just going to put it all back on again anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's where you talked about, yes, we always lose weight, but most of us regain it and most of us plus some. So you end up heavier than where mm-hmm. you actually started the diet and across, you know, a two, three, five, ten year period, you do. Your weight tends to increase over time instead of decreasing over time, despite all the hard work we've done with the dieting, right?
1: Yeah. And another thing, we can't like a lot of times we'll say, Oh, I just want to lose, you know, Five, you know, 10, whatever it is, we can't always just pick that number, right? Our weights are predetermined, you know, a lot of times by our genetics, our environment. A lot of those things do that we don't have control over, do impact our weights and the weight that our body wants to be. And just like we all have different shoe sizes, you know, we all have different heights, we can't necessarily say, what our weight is going to be. We have to be kind of, you know, really let it fall where it feels best at where it wants to be. We can't push it. I mean, growing up I had a goal height that I wanted to be 5'10". I am <laughs> not 5'10", and I was it was easy to let that go because I was like, "Oh, you know, I I'm just not going to be 5'10". That's not in the cards for my body, but it's so much harder for us to accept that for our body shapes and our body sizes that we do have kind of, it is partly influenced by genetics and our environment. So sometimes thinking about it that way too, and just understanding, like, I can't just, you know, close my eyes and like you were would like with a map, decide where I want to go with my weight. Like we, we all have, unique bodies. And it's something that I think that's also super hard to fight against with diet culture and, you know, this thin equals healthier and it doesn't always. Um, so just, just a a side little tangent for, for anyone listening. Like it's, I know it's kind of tough to think that way. Um, but it's really finding the balance between what makes your body feel best, what makes what is sustainable for your mental health and i mean just really looking at the overall picture of things versus like okay yep this is the this is the amount of pounds or kilos or whatever it is that i want to lose.
0: Mm-hmm. So the goal should be around health yes. and not the number on the scale. Amen. Okay, so listeners at home are going, okay. Colleen, i understand what you're saying. I'm hearing you. Diets don't work. I've done them a million times. I get it they don't work. But I am pre-diabetic, I've got high cholesterol, my health isn't great, I don't feel great, my body does not feel great. I still, you know, I have some work to do in terms of my health and in terms of, you know, I don't have an exact number, but I know that I'm probably overweight in terms of where where I really want to be, right? So mm-hmm. what do we do instead of dieting? What what What's the next step here?
1: Yes. So I'm a big fan of health-promoting behaviors. So with that, it could mean, okay, so maybe I am, you know, I need to work on my blood sugar a little bit, right? So maybe that's something that, okay, a piece of gentle nutrition for me could be, okay, you know what, maybe when I Have some more simple carbs. I pair them with a fat or a protein to make my blood sugar not kind of go as wonky after that. That is an example of a health promoting behavior. If it's someone who has maybe they're having heart issues or concerns about that, maybe it's okay, let's tie in some physical activity. Let's get that heart strong right let's work that muscle those things may or may not change your weight when you you know add activity thinking about you know fruits and veggies they have a lot of nutrients in there that can be very protective for us so maybe one of your goals is to add that in right and again when we add more fruits and veggies when we allow our bodies to move that may or may not change our weight but there's also been studies that show The health prone behaviors. So, those things, you know, not drinking excessive alcohol consumption, not smoking fruits and veggies, having that physical activity, those are truly tied to the health outcomes versus the weight itself. So, I think that's something that's very tough to wrap our mind around, but focusing on, okay, what can I do that's actually going to help with, you know, this? whatever, you know, I'm trying to improve on. That's where I would recommend. And an alternative to dieting is I do believe listening to your body. But there's a caveat here. I know when I just said listen to your body, everyone probably automatically thought of things on Instagram of like, listen to your body, eat the cupcake, listen to your body, you know, eat the pizza. And Mm -hmm. yes, you have permission to do that. But here's the thing that most people forget. Our brain, the little noggin's that we have inside of our head, they are part of our body too, right? So when we have this idea of listening to your body, I want you to listen to your whole body and that includes the information of those health-prony behaviors that are going to benefit you. So if someone, you know, let's say they are working on their blood sugar and they have the option in the morning, oh, I see that box of Lucky Charms. I really want to eat that. Okay, let me, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But let me think about that. What's going to make my body feel my best? Maybe in that instance, you know, maybe they say, okay, you know, I'll pair the Lucky Charms with some Greek yogurt. It's going to give me some protein, maybe a little of fat in there. That way I can kind of like marry those things together. Um, So it's thinking about the full picture. Yes, our, you know, what we want, what we Enjoy so we can get that food should be enjoyed, right? And you're going to be more likely to listen to your fullness and satisfaction if you're eating things that you enjoy. But also, that brain part of things and tying in those health pruning behaviors that can help you, again, feel your best and achieve. Honestly, we have these bodies. I don't know about you, but I want to keep mine around for a while. So mm. I do want to incorporate some of that little brain knowledge that I have into my choices.
0: 100%. I'm not putting all this super away, you know, for my retirement to not be able to enjoy my retirement when I get there, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true, so true. <laughs> I'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break. Today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method coaching service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Okay, so I think our listeners at home can appreciate where you're coming from in terms of like, we don't want to be doing the strict dieting. We know it doesn't work long term. We want to be able to listen to our bodies. But I think so many people really do struggle. Like I've had clients say to me, I haven't felt hunger in 10 years, Mm -hmm. or I don't know what it feels like to feel satisfied after a meal. I always want something else. So. What happens when we first start to, or when we first stop dieting and actually start listening to our bodies? What are some of the things that can happen? Because I imagine, and this was very much true for myself, when I gave up all of the restricted diets diets and actually started listening to my body, I overate quite a lot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, again, with gentle nutrition, I just let that be. I was like, this is okay. I'm going to allow myself to eat chocolate every day if I want. And I ate it until I probably almost felt sick for the first couple of days, if not the first week. And then it just naturally came down from there. One day I looked at it and you know what, you know what? I can eat that chocolate if I want, but I actually just don't want it anymore. So can we give our listeners a little bit of an idea around when we do stop dieting? What are the first, I guess, initial things that may begin to happen once we start listening to our body?
1: Oh yes, I love this because it's not just a switch that you can turn on, right? I feel like everyone's like, okay, cool. I'm I get DMs all the time that say, okay, Colleen, I've been listening to my body for a couple days now. And you know, this is what I'm experiencing. It's like, okay, I understand understand we all want instant gratification, but think about how long we spent dieting and following those food rules, right? It's going to take some time to undo that. So I want you to imagine if you're at home and you're like not driving a car or something, close your eyes and do this little visualization with me. I want you to pretend that you have to swim from one end of a long swimming pool to the other end, totally underwater. Okay. So when you get to that end, you're probably like, Oh my gosh, I need, I need air. I need air. You come up, you're going to take this (gasps) big inhale, right? And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, you're probably going to be taking very big, very deep, very frequent breaths. But as your body starts to understand, okay, air is not restricted anymore. I can kind of cool my jets here and go back to eating, you know, breathing normally. The same thing happens with food. So if you have been restricting, be it overall food, certain types of foods, or even just deeming that food bad that you shouldn't have it, the same thing is likely going to happen. So you're going to come up essentially for air. You're going to allow yourself to eat the chocolate. And yes, you're probably going to want to eat a lot of the chocolate. And I know that can feel Insanely overwhelming. So, one thing that I like to recommend is you don't have to do all of the things at once. So, you don't have to say, okay, I'm going to go buy the ice cream and the pizza and the chocolate and all these things because that can feel so overwhelming. So, yes, you're probably going to want to eat those foods more. So, this isn't a race. There's no bumper sticker at the end of it. Mm -hmm. You can say, okay, this week I'm going to work on chocolate and I'm going to really allow myself to have that, right? And kind of work through those in that sense. Sometimes that can help not only kind of the psychological aspect of it, because otherwise, I mean, it can feel so overwhelming. Typically, it's too overwhelming for most people to work on all the things at once. And -hmm. that can kind of instill some of that diety mindset where we have that all-or-nothing thinking, either I'm doing this or I'm not. It's okay to take it slow, right? And I think another thing that can be really helpful to people is to at first just allow yourself to eat to satisfaction. It does not even mean that you have to challenge your food rules, right? You start to understand, okay, let me start to understand what hunger and fullness levels feel good because just like you said, we might not have hunger cues at first. So maybe we really start to tune into those and then then we'll start to add on the chocolate and the ice cream and those sorts of things and we'll work Through those. But it is very, very common to want the things that you haven't had in a long time. And it's also very common that you might start to go through this process. And there's going to be foods, I think it's so funny to hear this, that you used to like binge on or you used to feel so guilty eating that you like obsessed over that you might not even like when you start to (laughs) give yourself permission. For me, it's those like little uh, snack cakes, like the little Debbie ones, And I would obsess over those. And when I finally allowed myself to eat them, I'm like, I don't even really like these things. So it's also tuning into what do I truly enjoy and starting to learn those things again and try to, you know, view it in a fun way. Okay, I'm trying, you know, is this meal satisfying to me? Do I like it? Does it keep me full for a long time? I truly believe that everything is just data. Everything is just us allowing ourselves to understand, does this feel good? Does this not? And then kind of going from there.
0: I love that. Some really, really practical tips. And again, for our listeners at home who might be thinking, you know, I I still feel really overwhelmed. Like I don't know what to do. I don't want to buy the foods. I'm I'm fearful that I'm going to put on all this weight. Um, mm-hmm. My body, you know, isn't isn't playing ball. It's not it's not letting me do these things. If there was sort of one or two top things to start with, I think you mentioned just really trying to eat until you're satisfied. That's mm-hmm. a wonderful first tip. Do you have, I guess, a second tip of, of in terms of where people should start when it comes to listening to their bodies? Is it is it around just the eating or is it around like how do my energy levels feel or how does my digestion feel? If I love to give people sort of really two practical take-home tips um, because I do feel like you know we give so much information for free on this podcast, which is amazing, but it can result in quite a lot of overwhelm for people. So what would be if your first tip was really listening and tuning into that hunger um satisfaction, what would your second tip for our listeners be?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think my second tip would be doing a little bit of a post meal reflection. So this does not have to be anything crazy or in depth. It's just kind of looking back and saying, "Okay, you know, how did this meal make me feel?" You could even do this on a full day if you wanted to and kind of looking for any outliers, okay? Anything that maybe didn't feel super great or something that made you that did make you feel great. Maybe it is, "Wow, you know what? At lunch, like I was hungry, in like an hour. Okay. Let me, this is where people kind of miss the step is they don't go back and wonder why and see what they can change for next time. Like I said, everything is just data. So ask yourself, okay, you know, my lunch, it didn't keep me full, super long. Let me see. I had a salad. There was some chicken on there. Oh, you know what? Maybe next time I'll throw some, I don't know, rice or croutons on there for a little bit of carb. And let me see if that, you know, makes me feel a little bit a little bit more full for longer. Or maybe you notice that, oh, you know, every single day at dinner, I eat past fullness and I just feel food coma. Okay. That's going to be the first area that we probably want to focus on kind of that, that outlier. So it's thinking about things like, okay, let me think about that meal more. Is it, that I went into the meal so hungry and I just wolfed down my food and I didn't even have time to register it? Or was it that, you know, I was, whenever I eat dinner, I'm kind of, you know, eating on autopilot. Maybe I'm standing over the kitchen sink, just, you know, shoveling it in my mouth. Thinking about those things can be really helpful. Again, like where are the outlier points? And then just picking one at a time. You do Maybe, you know, there's four things that you notice that are kind of like, oh, that didn't make me feel super great. Just pick one. Again, I'm all about the baby step. So just saying, okay, let me experiment. Everything's an experiment and see if I test this. Does that make me feel better? Does it not? And those small, every experiment that you do is like a pearl on a strand. And then you're going to have this beautiful necklace that is equivalent to listening to your body, but it takes that time and kind of those just like little nuggets as you go to get there. So it is not an overnight process. It is something that, you know, takes a while and I'm not talking weeks. I'm not necessarily talking months. It is not uncommon for this process to, again, think how long we dieted for, but if you can do one little bit of reflection, every day and then find an experiment for it. I think that's a, it feels a little bit more tangible versus like, okay, I got to figure out how to listen to my body. It's just one thing. Just pick one thing to
0: experiment with. Mm, I like that. And I really appreciate how you've sort of let our listeners know how long this journey takes because I myself feel like I've been working on my relationship with food for years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, people are trying to do it in like a six-week program or like a 12-week program. And sure, these things can give us a little bit of structure and some knowledge, but really listening to our bodies, it can take years, can't it?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You can see, definitely see wins. You can see wins in a day, in a week that like, heck yes, I, I made progress. That's great. But again, diet culture and just the grasp that diets have on us is gonna take a long time. So that's another thing. If you're listening to this, like do not discount the small wins. If you're like, hey, you know, I hey, I, I felt that I was satisfied. So, you know, I packed up the food or I felt hungry and I honored it. There is, I do not believe that there is a small win Everything should be celebrated because that's what's going to keep you going. If we again, there's no bumper sticker. If we're searching for this end game, like it's, we might not get there, and we might feel, you know, that we "quote unquote" failed. When in reality, think about your trajectory, not where you currently are.
0: Mm, It's definitely a long time game. Mm -hmm. Now, within the nutrition industry, and particularly within social media, there are. Oh, there are so many quote unquote experts, which is frustrating for, you know, people such as you and I who have, you know, gone through the proper training and, you know, we genuinely just want to help people. But there's so much, I guess, polarity within the nutrition industry. We've got the the, you know, you can be healthy at every size. We've got tune in, listen to your body, don't diet. Then we've got the whole other camp of people on the other side where it's more that prescriptive type eating, keto, low carb, um, you know, intermittent fasting, um, high fat, whatever it is. How do we, I guess how do people understand the polarity within the nutrition industry and why are we all talking such different messages you know people have got prescriptive eating plans where it's like eat this x amount of calories x amount of macros x amount of you know fats carbs proteins and then we've got the whole other spectrum that's like tune in listen to your body you're doing a great job people are confused right how do we how do we find this, this nice sort of middle ground or find which area works for us.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. And I feel that because sometimes, I mean, there are dietitians who preach a lot of those restrictive diets. And I get a lot of questions like, well, how can a dietitian be preaching this if you say X, Y, Z? And I think that goes to, again, I do like to think that I mean, definitely there are people who are just out there for the money, want you to fail and just so you can keep coming back. But I like to give people a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say that they truly do think that XYZ is going to help. And I think that it just comes down to our experiences that we have in our life. And there's always going to be people who have, you know, a different view and it would there are people who can go on those restrictive diets and not have the negative, you know, psychological impact. It's, there are a small percentage of people, but I think that that's the key is understanding it is those very small percentages of people. And those people are likely the ones who rise to the top and kind of spread that message when they don't understand that they are the vast outlier of it. And we don't kind of like see them as that. So I think that too, I you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And I think that is especially the case with intuitive eating and health at every size. There are going to be people that, you know, just won't want to see it that way. And that's okay. They have the right to do that. They have the right to do, you know, with their body, what they want. But I think we need to tune into us and ask, you know, what feels best to us. And I think another thing to kind of Think about is that nutritional science is relatively young. And if there's been one constant, it is this idea of moderation. It is this idea of let's not go to these extremes because even through the years, I mean, there's been things that we've demonized, you know, for decades. And then we're like, oh, so that's not actually as bad mm-hmm. because science is ever evolving, right? We're learning more and more about this topic. And being, just kind of thinking about that, it's like, hey, then, you know, That quote unquote moderation is going to be where our best, typically, our best bet is. But I think that again, it's understanding that there are outliers. And a lot of times, I think those people like rise to the top. And also, kind of like I mentioned, there's a lot of other reasons why we want to go on these diets, right? Some people just like to feel like, oh, I'm doing a challenge. You know, this is tough. fight makes me feel, I don't know, macho or, you know, whatever it is. And sometimes that's the motivator, not necessarily the health that might be disguised as health. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that, you have to take in the full picture of things. So if someone's saying, you know, XYZ, you know, intermittent fasting can improve, I don't know, some aspect of your health. It's like, okay, so maybe it's tied to that. First of all, is that correlation or causation? And the second thing is what about all the other things? What about, you know, the mental health struggles? What about the binge eating that could happen? Is that risk worth it for that one potential benefit? It's a lot of kind of like, like I said, weighing the pros and cons, but ultimately knowing what feels best to you. And I always say, it's not sexy preaching moderation. It's not sexy being the... The equivalent of Switzerland to, you know, the food space. But that's really what we've seen throughout the years that is going to be the really the most
0: dependable, dependable thing. Mm, I agree. And when you talk to the majority of dietitians, I think the one constant we all have, despite, you know, we all do things that little bit differently from each other, Mm -hmm. but the one constant we all agree on is that moderation is key. We really don't want our clients restricting things or missing out. Or if someone says, I genuinely love Cheezles, I'm like, okay, probably not the best food for us, but that's cool. Let's eat a couple. Let's see how we feel, you know, it's this moderation. So I guess, how do we get past? And I think a lot of our listeners, at home are probably struggling with this concept, Colleen, where this moderation or this food freedom and listening to our body doesn't mean just being able to eat whatever we want. It's like, okay, I wake up and I see that delicious looking cupcake on my bench or I baked these amazing chocolate chip cookies last night. I'm listening to my body and it wants a chocolate chip cookie at 7am. How, how do I, how do I make that fit? So how do we sort of debunk the myth that Food freedom or listening to our body means eating whatever we want, whenever we want. There's got to be there's got to be some sort of balance there, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think with this, it goes back to really what does our body encompass. Yes, it also encompasses our brain, and a lot of what you see on social media is just this first gut reaction of oh, cookie cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. And that is really the very like basic part of our brain. When as humans, let's give ourselves some credit here. We can do a little bit of complex, higher thinking and asking ourselves that could be in the moment. Okay. I see the cookie. Do I really want the cookie or is it that I just want food in general? Right. Or how is that cookie going to make me feel? And this is a the answer to your question of whether you do or do not eat the cookie could change on a day to day basis. Maybe I get up one morning and I see those cookies and I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. They look delicious. I really, really want a cookie. Thinking about a yogurt or thinking about oatmeal, like, ugh, no, I want the cookie. I'm going to eat the cookie, right? And then noticing, okay, how does this make me feel? And then the next day I might be like, okay, you know what? That did not keep me full very long. So I'm going to pick the oatmeal, right? It's having those lived experiences. I think that is really kind of the the best thing for us. Cause then we can get into that higher thinking and be like, okay, it's more than just don't eat the cookie, you know, eat the cookie, don't eat the cookie. It's how will this make me feel? And I think, too, something that is very, very helpful for a lot of people is you do not have to make a – on the spot decision, like give yourself a second, think about, okay, what is my cravings? What would make my body feel best? And you can also see if there's a way to tie those two things together. So maybe you take that cookie and you're like, I'm going to crumble some of that cookie on top of my yogurt. That's going to kind of marry all of the things that I want together, right? I can have some of that cookie. I can get some protein, some fat in there. Maybe I'll put some peanut butter on it. Ooh, that sounds delicious. So I think that it's kind of getting creative with things as well and finding out how can I marry the, yes, taste, the satisfying things that I want with that area of my brain that says, okay, you know what? Protein that's going to help keep you full. My muscles love protein. It's getting creative and experimenting with those sorts of things and kind of finding that out. But just knowing, I mean, you could even go through this as you're making those choices and be like, okay, what is my body asking for? What is my brain asking for? And then kind of seeing, okay, then, then what is my
0: food choice? Kind of going through those areas. Does that answer your question? Definitely. So in summary, I think it's all about learning, growing and reflecting, right? So you can do the thing, but it's always sort of like pausing and reflecting and going, did that actually make me feel great? You know, was eating six cookies for breakfast a great call or perhaps having my normal breakfast and then maybe one cookie a bit later on? Would that make me actually feel better? So I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of sort of I guess, misconception around this concept of listening to our body or food freedom. And it's like, I can just eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, you can do that, of course. But is that actually going to make you feel great? Mm -hmm. And I think tuning in and listening to how we're feeling and reflecting on how that meal made us feel or that snack made us feel is so crucial to our long-term success, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I think that what you said, that reflecting piece, I think that goes missed a lot because, Mm. I mean, we hear this all the time of, oh, just, you know, you had a quote unquote bad day with eating. Just move on. Don't worry about it. We'll start over tomorrow. I mean, the diet starts tomorrow. We hear that phrase all the time, but- we yes, you want to move on. I don't want anyone to ruminate in it, but I do want you to learn from it. I want you to think back and be like, okay, let me let me think about that a little bit. Not always the most comfortable thing to think about, but when you kind of take yourself out of it and you just view it again, just as data and not make it so like emotionally charged, that can be really helpful. But yes, that reflection, oh, so, so key.
0: Yeah. Really important piece of the puzzle. All right, Colleen, well, you've given our listeners so much wisdom. I cannot thank you enough, but I would love to know from your of things, if there was one parting message that you could leave our listeners with today, what would that, I guess, wisdom be or what would that parting message be for our listeners at home?
1: Yes. I think the one piece of advice that I feel like I am always on a mission to debunk is that idea that intuitive eating is just not caring about your health or eating all the cookies. And truly it is that idea of moderation. And I get why it gets that reputation of, oh, you're just not caring anymore. Or you're, quote unquote, letting yourself go. Because when you think about it, if I post a picture of a donut on Instagram, I'm going to get a ton of likes because donuts, who doesn't like a donut, right? Mm-hmm. But if I post a picture of my turkey sandwich that I had for lunch, which you know I have a lot of time for most days, then that's not going to be as sexy. So it's kind of understanding that kind of taking – What you see about intuitive eating on social media, kind of with yes, it can be a good kind of gateway, get your wheels turning, but taking it off of really this goes for any sort of topic. If you really want to learn more about something, kind of take it off social media. Listening to this podcast is a really great, you know, thing for you to learn a little bit more about it. Dip your toes into whatever, you know, area that it is. In this case, if it's intuitive eating, diving into that a little bit more and understanding more about the whole picture. Of it. What is it truly? Because things get so distorted on Instagram and that moderation truly is what intuitive eating is. And like we've talked about a lot, that brain, it's part of your body. So when you hear that phrase, listen to your body, it includes your brain and that nutrition and health wisdom that
0: you have. Oh, I love it. So all encompassing. Absolutely love it. Colleen, where can our listeners learn more from you? How can we follow you on social media? What is your website? Do you take clients all around the world or are you just US specific at the moment? Let us know more because I'm sure people are like clambering to like knock down your door and be like, I have to work with Colleen. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I am on Instagram. I'm most active there at no.food.rules. I'm also on YouTube. I have tons of videos on my platform, just Colleen Christensen there. Uh, My website is ColleenChristensenNutrition.com. It's a mouthful. I can type it out. It's also linked in my Instagram. No Food Rules is a lot easier <laughs> to type in. Um, and I do all of my coaching and consulting in my membership community, which is called The Society, spelled E-A-T-Y because we like to eat. <laughs> um, and with that, we talk about intuitive eating and we have group coaching calls, basically all the resources that you need to really implement intuitive eating. And yes, it's that's one of my favorite things is that it is such a diverse community, not only with you know, shapes, sizes, colors, but also around the world. I mean, there are people in the community who will, you don't have to do this because everything's recorded, but we'll wake up at, in Germany at like 2 a.m. to hop on a call live with me. And I'm like, I love you
0: guys, but get your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like it's okay. So yes, all around the world, everyone is welcome. Amazing. And I will make sure that I link everything properly in the show notes as well. So if our listeners want to go quickly find your socials and the website, they'll all be on our show notes as well. Sounds great. Thank you again so much for joining us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could just talk to you for hours, but we're going to wrap up the podcast today because I know you have very, very busy, important things to do and go get do. So thank you again for joining us on the podcast. And I'm sure that our listeners um, just appreciated every word of wisdom that you were able to provide us. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Like, I feel the same. I could talk to you forever. So thank you so much. It was an absolute, absolute joy.
0: The pleasure's all mine.